This is the Money Talks podcast with Michael Campbell. I'm glad you're with me. The prime minister says he called the election because there are issues on the table that can impact you, your family and friends for decades. And in a moment, I'm going to tell you why I think he's right. I'll also chat quickly about why I'm going to continue with Money Talks, but only in podcast form. Plus, stock picker, well, this guy's extraordinary, Ryan Irvine's going to drop by to share his latest stock picks. You know what? And give it his track record. I think we all better listen. Plus, I've got a quote of the week about the fallout from what's happened in Afghanistan by an ex-CIA ops officer that I bet will send shivers up your spine. It sure did mine. And don't miss the goofy. But first, did you hear? Prime Minister Trudeau called the election for September 20th. I'm just kidding. Of course you have. Although, you know what? I doubt the people and businesses who are dealing again with the fourth or rising fourth wave of infections care. Or those people dealing with wildfires and evacuations in British Columbia. According though, to a recent Ipsos polls, only 27% of Canadians think now is the time for a federal election. Clearly, some people are angry that an election is going to cost like $600 million, including $61 million tax dollars, additional tax dollars for media outlets to carry what we're being told is the federal government's message, with two years left in the mandate. And by the way, no one in government is going to tell us which um, outlets got the money. Obviously, the prime minister is confident that an early election call with infections rates rising, etc., won't cost the Liberals any vote. You know what? I think he's right. Come on. If blackface, the interference with the prosecution of SNC-Lavalin, with two high-profile female cabinet ministers quitting because of misleading statements by the prime minister, I mean, if the weed charity scandal and the refusal to act on sexual harassment charges in the military for five years with a clear cover-up since 2018 doesn't cost the prime minister support, I don't think that calling a needless election is going to. But I want to talk about the Prime Minister's statement that the election is needed because, in quotes, we will be taking decisions that will last not just for the coming months, but for the coming decades. And I agree with him. We're talking about some policy choices that, if implemented, will impact the country for generations. I'll give you two quick examples. We'll have the choice between what Jordan Peterson calls approved speech by the government And that was exemplified by Bill C-10, which put nine unelected bureaucrats at the CRT in charge of what you can see in posts on social media. It was universally criticized by experts like former CRTC vice chair Peter Menzies, calling the bill a full frontal assault on free speech and democracy. But the bill is supported by the liberals and the NDP and members of the public. This election is going to deal with that. You have a choice. By the way, then you get Bill C-36 which was introduced, which the Ontario Civil Liberties Association said in quotes, grossly violates the fundamental human right of freedom of expression. Well, come on, obviously some people welcome the censorship of views and opinions they don't agree with. Others who believe in free speech are appalled. All I'm saying is that this election will determine which road will follow and it will be for decades to come. Implications are huge. The other example I want to bring to your attention, and I doubt you'll hear this anywhere else, despite the fact that it's a radical change to the entire financial system. And I know I'm getting all financial and economic-y on you, but this is a massive no-return change in the whole monetary system. The name of this is called Modern Monetary Theory. In a nutshell, it's a radical theory that governments can run deficits forever because the central bank will print money out of thin air. 
Then they'll buy the government bonds with the money they've just printed up, and that'll finance the spending. And they'll do that right through until full employment and reach. But in the meantime, if all that spending results in inflation, then they raise taxes to control it. That, in essence, is that theory. And we've taken big steps in that direction, with the Bank of Canada creating literally hundreds of billions to buy government bonds to finance the government spending over the last couple of years. I mean, it's easy to understand why politicians like it. Modern monetary theory says they can spend without constraint. If the government needs money, presto, the central bank just prints it up electronically. I mean, it's the ultimate free lunch. And it's been happening since September 16th, 2019. We've talked about it in the show. No one else did in the country. That's when overnight credit markets literally collapsed. No one wanted to lend money. They were worried about other issues. I suspect at the time it was about what was going on in the European banking system. So they said, I want to keep this money in my pocket. I'm not going to lend it to you. Certainly not at something like 2%. No. And then they said, well, will you lend it to me at 5 No. 8 No. 10%. Yes. Well, can you imagine if interest rates went to 10%? How many mortgages would have to be defaulted? How many business loans, et cetera? Well, the central banks certainly recognize that. So they stepped in. They created the money to do the lending. And it's been happening every single day since. But, as I said, most of the media shares the Prime Minister's attitude when he stated this week, he doesn't worry himself over monetary policy. Well, keep in mind, monetary policy is about interest rates, inflation, government debt, impacting things like housing prices. It's also, despite it, kind of interesting that, the, that so much of the media coverage does not deal with this. Because without the Bank of Canada doing this, without it creating the money, printing the money, buying the government bonds, none of the other spending by the government would be possible. Not at these kind of interest rates. You wouldn't have had CERB or enhanced unemployment or rent subsidies. I mean, you name it. None of that happens without the Bank of Canada first creating the money to buy the bonds at these record low rates. And they're still doing it, by the way, $4 billion in government debt per week. But here's the key. Modern monetary theory says, hey, you can just keep doing that. Never-ending deficits financed by the central banks creating money. This is the choice or the road we have a choice of following or not in this election. Advocates, by the way, say that modern monetary theory comes without negative consequences. Well, my concern is I know too much history, and that's not been the case. Whenever you've got the government eroding the independence of central banks, bad things happen. The confidence starts waning in the currency itself. I mean, you could see that right now in Venezuela. I mean, who the heck wants a Bolivar? But confidence starts to evaporate and people go, you know what? I don't want to hold these paper dollars. I want to buy stuff instead because if I don't, it'll be worth, uh, it'll be cost me more next week. That, by the way, happened in Canada in 1980. People would rush out and buy stuff because they were worried it would be more expensive later. In this kind of environment, that's what hyperinflation is about, is the lack of confidence. But as the prime minister says, he's not paying attention to monetary issues. But you know what? You should. To borrow from J.P. Morgan, you can ignore the credit markets or interest rate policy, inflation, government debt. In short, you can ignore monetary policy. The trouble is, it doesn't ignore you. The modeling I use the Armstrong-Socrates model, which has a remarkable track record, forecasts that some of the fallout from this begins next year, the coming monetary crisis. And all I'm saying is if you want to protect yourself, well, as I say, you better stay with me. 
on mikesmoneytalks.ca or Michael Campbell's Money Talks on Facebook or Money Talks Tweet. That's the environment I think we're headed for. So this is the last episode of Money Talks broadcast on the radio, but will continue and expand as a podcast. And I'm going to tell you more about that, give you a little inside look in just a moment. Coming up, I've got Mike Levy talking about a pay cut you just took. Plus, though, I have got an amazing quote of the week that I really insist that you stay and listen to. It's about Afghanistan, and it comes from a CIA former operations officer. It's incredible. But permit me just a quick personal note. I was thinking this week that when I started this show in 1989 on what is now Chorus Radio, the Russians had just pulled out of Afghanistan. The Tokyo stock market had crashed. The Berlin Wall fell. Which, by the way, Martin Armstrong's Socrates model predicted both in a published report three years earlier, and we featured on this show at the time. The same year, the Chinese Communist government killed hundreds of protesters in Tiananmen Square. Brian Mulroney was our prime minister. Sony put out the first CD player. Bonnie Raitt won Album of the Year with Nick a Time. A Field of Dreams was released, and Driving Miss Daisy won the Oscar for Best Picture. Whoa. I guess that means I'm old. I was thinking of this last Monday after I got a call from Chorus saying they were going to go in a different direction and that we're no longer going to air Money Talks after today. Something about they wanted someone who was better looking. But wait a second, this is radio. Maybe that wasn't the real reason. But they have decided to go in a different direction. And some old guy talking about money, finance, stocks, your financial future, credit markets, and government economic policy is not part of the direction. And let me be clear, the decision to stop airing money talks is absolutely their prerogative. They have to do what they think best for Chorus going forward. And I'm absolutely fine with the decision. doesn't mean I'm going to stop broadcasting, analyzing, or researching. But i got to tell you, i just share quickly two regrets, both related to why I've been doing the show and will continue. The first is straightforward. I've appreciated the opportunity to talk on occasion about Special Olympics. People with intellectual disabilities are regularly forgotten, ignored. And I appreciated the opportunity to bring that to your attention. And I really appreciate the people and businesses who've stepped up. So many related to our show. All of our team here have stepped up. But others, uh, you know, Joseph Schachter and, and uh, Andrew Ruland out of Integrated Wealth. But so many. I'm, I'm missing some. I'm missing a lot, actually. But you get the idea. And I really appreciated the people and businesses who've donated as I say, to things like that miserable polar plunge. I still have nightmares seeing Ozzy and Lederhosen. And by the way, I fully intend to trick him again next year, and hopefully you'll continue to help out. Now, the second reason that I've been doing the show is to raise the level of discussion about economic and financial issues. And you know what? I don't think I've been successful. My goal was never to change anyone's opinion, but rather give them the research and background to make an informed decision. That's all I wanted. You choose whatever you want. I don't care which party you support or which policies or what have you, but you should have the information. And I want to ask questions, but we're in an environment where increasingly that's discouraged. Sadly, there are lots of people who aren't interested in a respectful exchange of ideas. They're not interested in research, just in case it challenges their existing narrative. As Stephen Colbert says, It used to be everyone was entitled to their own opinions, but not their own facts. But that's not the case anymore. Facts matter not at all. Truthiness is what I say is right, and nothing anyone else says could possibly be true. It's not only that I feel it to be true, 
but that I feel it to be true. End of quote. Well, I've been no match for that attitude, that's for sure. And I'm sure some people, including some politicians, I'll tell you, are really happy I'm no longer going to be on Chorus Radio. What really concerns me now is that we're entering a period of massive change and increasing volatility. As I said in my opening remark there, there's a monetary crisis coming and you better be prepared. The country better be prepared for what's coming here. And I'm just thinking in terms of look at what's happened in the commodity markets, the currency markets, look at the sovereign debt markets. Uh, I'm worried about the European banking system. That is a long one. That's why I found the prime minister's remark when, uh, Wednesday when he said he doesn't think about monetary policy so alarming. But to be fair, other leaders don't either. Let's be clear. But this is the reason I'm going to keep doing the podcast, along with Michael and Ozzy and Victor. And I'll tell you, I'll get the top analysts in the English-speaking world. But I'm going to also do some broader context, featuring what I call really smart people. So if you don't want to miss it, go to mikesmoneytalks.ca. You sign up, and it's free, for the free Money Talks e-news service, just by clicking on the blue View Services button. I hope you do join me. Michael Levy on the line with me. Mike, let's get right to this. We all took a pay cut in the last year because our dollars don't buy as much. Uh, can you fill me in? Well, Mike, certainly, because when there's inflation, the price of what you're buying goes up. So therefore, the dollar that you're spending won't buy as much. Let's look at Canada. Inflation, 3.7% annualized in July. That's after 3.1% in June, 3.6% in May. And when you look at this, and let's say on an annual basis, that inflation comes out at 3.6%. That means that 96.4 cents of your dollar will buy what your dollar bought a year ago. So unless you get a pay raise that equals or is better than inflation, inflation is going to take away a chunk of your spending power. In other words, you are taking a pay cut. Same in the United States. Consumer prices up 5.4% last year, annualized at 7.2%. The thing that got to me through this, and this is sort of one of the final topics we've talked about, is government and the central banks were telling us it was transitory. Transitory meaning brief. Well, it's anything but transitory, and the inflation numbers keep growing. You will keep taking a pay cut. Yeah, and that is the biggest debate in finances we've been chronicling, and uh, we'll continue to chronicle on mikesmoneytalks.ca because it's key. It's your dollars. It's what it buys. And as you say, uh, what what I bought for 100 bucks last year uh, worth of goods, I got I get 96.3 or whatever it is and less. So that's what people are going to keep keeping an eye on. I, I, I still think those pressures are there, though, Mike. I look at uh, wage pressures coming in. I look at rent coming in, uh, you know, and, and keep in mind, though, when you go f- forward, what you have reported will be based on today's numbers, like the next set we get will compare with the numbers you just gave us. But uh, yeah, what we're paying for stuff overall is going up. It is, Mike, and there's a choke supply chain. You and I have talked about that. There's food Mm. shortages driving up grocery prices. That's happening because of what's going on in the environment, the fires, uh, the the, the ability to ship goods. The used car market is all dried up with a lack of supply. The cost of housing is mounting. Canadians have actually been taking a pay cut every single month. And that is going to carry on. But I think one of the things that bothers me the most is government doesn't suffer 
from inflation. The money that they take from you for, from taxes and the money they spend by going into debt, they are inflation-proof. They're taking your money, and inflation is going to impact the average worker, the average paycheck, but it's not going to affect government, so they turn their back on it. Actually, inflation is good news for governments who've borrowed because uh, you borrow and, and, and anyone else who borrows, but government's borrowing the most, you know, because you borrow in today's dollars, but you pay back in reduced value dollars later on. Be like borrowing in Canadian bucks today and you, someone, somehow you get to pay them back in Venezuelan Boulevard. You know, I mean, that'd be good news. So, you know, that's yeah. that's the other side. The other thing you mentioned groceries, though, Mike. Yeah, I saw the report this week, too, that said that the average Canadian family of four is probably can expect to spend seven to eight hundred dollars more in groceries over the next year. Of course, that impacts uh, restaurant prices and other things. So, yeah, it, it's it's percentages sometimes. But then you hear those dollars like, wow, seven to eight hundred dollars more. If I'm a family of four for groceries, that's tough. And Mike, the thing is. If, if and when, and I say as this inflation goes on, the government is going to have to be forced to raise interest rates to rein it in. So there, after all this that we've talked about, the ultimate cost is going to be borrowing money for all the things that you want to do, whether it's buying a car, buying a house, whatever it might be, the cost of your money is going to go up also. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, we'll be chronicling more on that on uh Money Talks Uncensored coming up. Mike, thanks for the time. I, Mike, it's, it's a pleasure. It was 35 years ago that you and I started with you at Levesque Bobiam, me at Midland Doherty, and the fact that we brought a speaker into Vancouver because we thought people should hear in 1985, and that was Martin Armstrong. So we go back yep. that far. I've been 31 years with you in Money Talks. And the thing that always, always, always impressed me is you knew what question to ask to elicit an answer that was going to be of value to our listeners. And that's why I have hung around with you for 31 years. And I'm glad you have, Mike, and we'll do more of it coming. Time now for the quote of the week, and it's a long one, by former CIA ops officer Brian Dean Wright. He's talking about the fallout from the Afghanistan debacle. And you know what? When I read it, I absolutely found it chilling. In quotes, former U.S. intelligence colleagues are angry and deeply worried about what's happened in Afghanistan. Here's what I'm hearing and why there's nearly universal belief that America and the world are in for one of the most dangerous, unpredictable times in modern history. Afghanistan has shown the world, enemies and allies alike, that our military and intel assets are largely irrelevant because we can't deploy them successfully. The blame lays at the feet of multiple presidents, the generals, the spies, the Congress. America's elites are trash. China knows it, and they will become emboldened covertly and overtly. War over Taiwan and contested islands in the South China Sea and the East China Sea is now more likely. Russia will consider similar covert and overt moves focused on Crimea and former Soviet satellites. The fear is that China and Russia will act in concert. Why? America was whipped by a tiny rebel force and couldn't even retreat properly. Meanwhile, the American people are angry, COVID-weary, and divided. If there was ever a time to push American hegemony aside, this is it. If Cold War III grows hot, America will need to quickly build up and work with foreign counterparts. But who will trust America after Afghanistan? 
who believes us when we say the leadership, we have the leadership to use our military might well? Who will trust us when we say we shall stand with you? Beyond China and Russia, others will take gambles too. Terror organizations like Al-Qaeda and ISIS are degraded, but not dead. Their ideology is very much alive. There's Rand Hezbollah with terror cells throughout the U.S. may see an opening to create chaos. Meanwhile, the disaster inside Afghanistan is only just beginning. The Taliban will launch a terror campaign against American collaborators. The pictures will shock the conscience of the world, further degrading American moral authority. Biden and company will struggle to respond. And there's also the nightmare, the nightmare of tactical weaponry, now awash in Afghanistan, in the hands of the Taliban, and soon on the global back market. These arms will fuel chaos around the world for decades. As I said, it absolutely scared the dickens out of me. Very welcome, uh, very, <laughs> very happy to welcome back to the show. I've got Ryan Irvine with me, Keystones Financial, Keystock.com, someone who we've worked with for over two decades on Money Talks, who was the person I went to when I said, I want to start creating an annual World Outlook Conference, small cap portfolio recommendations, small and large now. And of course, the track record, as has Keystones been, has been magnificent, absolutely magnificent. So pleased to welcome back to the show at this time. Ryan, I got tons of things to talk to you with, but I always want to come back to the stocks. When I look at some of the shift in momentum, I see some of the things that uh, the recommendations you just made at the recent World Outlook Conference in, uh, in February. And I think, wow, we got to talk about all of that stuff. What's on your mind? Yeah, I agree. Well, thanks for having me on uh, once again. I, I can't believe it's been over uh, two decades, basically, that we've been doing this. It, 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 it makes me look old, which is, which is disturbing. So uh, it, it's really great to be on with you. Um, we can get into those uh, topics that we're seeing in the market now, some of the inventor sh- investor shift and the sectorial shifts we're seeing. I just wanted to say two things to start. Uh, first, in stark contrast to what our esteemed prime minister may think, we need to talk monetary policy in this country. It's far too important. Most importantly, much of the country wants to hear you talk monetary policy and economic issues independently. Uh, It tends to affect families, and there are many families out there, individuals as well, that are very thankful to have heard your voice on these airways for I think it's been more than uh, around three decades. And we're very happy to hear that you're continuing with the Money Talks podcast. So I encourage everybody out there who's listening to immediately go sign up and get that podcast. Look, Mike doesn't need this show, but we need him. And the country needs strong voices to hold political and thought leaders to account. On top of, and despite of what his email inbox might say, Mike's a great guy. Uh, he has worked tirelessly to cause for causes such as the Special Olympics. He's always been a huge advocate for financial literacy, particularly for young people, and I've been impacted by that. Um, congrats on an amazing run on radio. Hands down the best financial show in this country, period. And to many more years growing your podcast, we'll be happy to be a part of it. Well, that's, first of all, that's that's very, very kind. I appreciate those words, and I do agree uh, completely, it. obviously. 
well, we need to be talking about this stuff. That's always been my big yeah. deal, and including stocks. And what you brought to the audience was just looking at small cap portfolios, searching for companies. Now, Aaron at Keystone Financial also, of course, does uh, more um, you know, dividend-paying stocks, for example, you yeah. know, uh, more mature companies, done, and he's done extremely well uh, with that. Let me just ask one quick connection question here. You're picking up a lot of stocks. The stocks have done brilliantly. Are you seeing merger and acquisition activity picking up? Cash is cheap. Companies got a lot of it. Are they kind of searching out some of the companies you've been looking at? Really good point. Uh, financing activity has been extremely high over the last year and a half. Uh, debt is very cheap, as we see. M&A activity uh, is happening, is continuing. And uh, we see that there's a big opportunity in here. We've actually seen a pullback in Canadian-based uh, small cap stocks uh, after a tremendous run in 2022. Um, you know, for example, I mean, you see these sentiment shifts in 2020. Our average gain in our portfolio in the small cap was up 88%. Uh, and you saw a tremendous start to the year. It's pulled back since March. On the flip side, you see some activity in more dividend rated stocks. So you see that's why you have to balance out your portfolio from REITs, uh, which have done well at the start of this year as well. But we're definitely seeing that M&A activity. Um, we had a company that we've talked about many times on Money Talks before, talked about it at the Outlook, Photon Control, small cap company, great cash position in it, great earnings over time, originally recommended at $0.46. Cents. The stock could be had last year uh, for around $0.80. Cents. It was taken over at 360 just uh, a couple months ago. So why? Because it is a great business cash rich, producing cash, and eventually larger pr players identify that. They find that value and, and you get an exit strategy out of a company like that, which was a, you know, a, tremendously, a tremendous return for our clients, for anybody who listened and has heard us talk about this stock on the, the radio many times in the past. It's really quite a simple equation, finding good, solid businesses that uh, larger players at some point can identify. We think there's, again, some, been some pullback and some quality names. We're looking closely right now. We'll have some research out in the next month, names that could be potential M&A targets and, and could make an exit point for uh, investors looking at some of these names right now. And we'll talk about well, a couple today. Yeah, I was going to say, why don't we just talk about one? I've got to take a break, but I want to make sure I get this. I got people all over the country, all, literally get listeners sometimes all over the world who got pen and paper ready to go. So if I skip that part, Ryan, I'm getting lynched. And so yeah. just give me one example. I, you know, I'm looking at under underfollowed stocks. That's what you guys brought to the market. We're absolutely famous for is getting a hold of some stocks that had real promise before the sort of broad based market had a look at them. Yeah, and that's literally why I got three companies that fit that strategy today, going back to the origins. Uh, Next Green Wave is a company. We've seen a pullback in U.S. cannabis after a strong 2020, mm -hmm. symbol as NGW and the CSE. Trades around the 70 cent range. What are they? Just a seed to shelf cannabis grower, wholesaler in California, owns and operates a 35,000 square foot indoor facility, and considered a quality craft producer. Why do we like them? Well, they have a cash-rich balance sheet, creating cash flow. Revenues jumped 300% in Q1 to $4.8 million. Companies earning money, uh, $1.7 million in profit from that $4.8 million, up from a loss last year of around 500000 So they're built, selling out their current facility, building a new facility. They broke ground on that. 
It'll increase capacity by uh, over 130%. Much of that is sold forward right now. We, it's 70 cents now. We see fair value near term, 90 to 95 cents, 12 to 24 months. We see it uh, fair value, $1.30 to $1.40. So a significant return from where we see uh, it now. We always look one to th- three years forward. You got to have a timeline that's a longer term, but there's a strong balance sheet, growth, profitability, and the potential for it to be an acquisition target. We do see some M&A activity coming in the uh, cannabis space in the U.S. You know, it's going to be great when you do the podcast instead, the, the one going forward, I'll have more time. So I'll be able to grill you on a lot of stuff. But I'm always fascinated um, that you guys provide entry and exit points and strategy. I mean, obviously, it's broad based, but you'll say, hey, this is a stock I like Buy half position now or buy it yeah, in this that, range. You, you, you know, Keystone Financial gives that advice, too. Um, but I'm always fascinated with that. I, I, I'm aware, thanks to you guys, of Next Green Wave really hasn't moved, I think, commensurate with the results you just described. No, and, and that's what we like to see. I mean, we, we look at photon control. It sat there in a range for years and years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, and, you know, if you look three, four years on, it produced a 600% return. Uh, it's kind of a success story, you know, three, five years in the making. We see this with Next Green Wave. It sat in a certain range. It spiked up at the start of this year. But, uh, you know, it offers value at a reasonable price and, uh, you know, can uh, be participating in some M&A activity, we think, in the cannabis market. And this is what we're looking for. And we've got a couple other companies if you can get to them as well. Ryan Irvine's with me, keystocks.com. But here's one thing, Ryan. I'm going to break it to you. I talked to your office. I said, come on, this is the last radio broadcast of Money Talks. How about a special deal for my listeners? And they said, yes, just so you know. <laughs> unbeknownst to me yeah yeah good luck to you but i'm happy about it and i just want to say uh you know you've got a lot of really good services here with i mean i love this part about the business it's a bottom line business is how have you done for me uh people can be lovely people but we want results and the results that you guys have got has been spectacular both uh when you're talking about dividend payers and uh what I'd sort of terminate or, or, or term solid growth, well-known companies. I mean, one of the things that you did so well and continue to do, though, for the Money Talks and the World Outlook Conference is going back a couple of years when Aaron talked about Microsoft. And a lot of people sort of said, Microsoft, isn't that yesterday's tech company? Oh, my goodness, has that performed. If you like doubles, if you like making over 100% of your money. And, uh, and you know, we do I say like that, that for sure. Yeah, I do. I say that glibly, but that's been part of the, uh, the track record. And plus, the kind of stocks that you and I are talking about right now, people may not be quite as aware of. And you've got some historical winners that are just shocking that make people uh, and, you know, featured on this show. And we're going to continue to do that. But I just tell people, uh, I, I sort of talk to the office to get a special deal. Uh, for our listeners uh, with Ryan. So just take advantage of and go to keystocks.com and you'll see it right there. I've asked them to put it up. Um, Ryan, let's get back to a couple more um, examples before you go here. Yeah, we'll get into the the first company here. It's a health tech company and health tech companies were hot as all heck earlier this year. Anything you do with telehealth and anything to do with digitization of healthcare surged. Uh, they got way ahead of their fundamentals. Not this company, but there's been a pullback in the sector generally. Uh, it's an opportunity, and this literally had, has no analyst coverage out there. The company's Premier Health of America, PHA, on the TSX venture. It's about $1.26, $67 million market cap. What do they do? 
end-to-end customer relationship platform, software platform that automates healthcare staffing industries, business practice practices. So a nurse can go on their iPhone or mobile application, interact real-time, manage their work schedule. Uh, it's a bit like Uber matching drivers with rides, but in a more closed environment. A strong presence in Quebec and none of it, and it's gradually rolling that out across the northern regions of Alberta, Manitoba, Ontario. Why do we like it? As always, strong, profitable growth. Revenues jumped 245% to $17 million from 4.9, same period last year. Uh, earnings jumped to a profit of 825000 from a loss of around 800000 So a tremendous jump there. Growth from acquisition, but also organically, just from the existing business. Trades at reasonable valuations, 11.7 times forward EBITDA. We believe... Uh, just giving it a 14 times multiple, that's uh, a target price or a fair value near term or around $1.75, which is around a 40% undervaluation on the stock right now. There's upside to this on management executing and moving into that Ontario market. So there's a company that we think offers growth, reasonable price, completely underfollowed, and a name probably your listeners would not have seen. Uh, the other thing you guys do is you, you give seminars or webinars, you know, obviously with COVID, it's been different. So you've been doing it over online with portfolio uh, construction and management, which I think is just yeah. essential stuff. And uh, when you when you're planning your next set, I'll certainly be publicizing it because this is the fundamentals. So tell me just in, in one minute, where does this fit in a portfolio? Yeah, well, this would be on the riskier end of your portfolio. Certainly, we, uh, you know, we we advocate uh, building that strong portfolio, fifteen to twenty-five growth stock. This would be in the growthier element, higher risk, but also augmenting that with high growth but dividend, solid dividend-paying stocks. Mm-hmm. And then we mix in your your Microsofts, your Alphabet, uh, those companies like the leading cybersecurity company, Fortinet. These are the companies that we add to that portfolio. So this is a part of your portfolio that can really juice your returns, but you've got to have that solid core as well. We're all looking in all those companies for profitable growth, and we have that target of 15 to 25 stocks. You're not going to buy two or three, too much company-specific risk, not 50. It's a fee-ridden, high portfolio. We don't want to see that. 15 to 25 stocks, the sweet spot, concentrating on profitable growth and dividend stocks within that portfolio. Let me just quickly... So come to our seminars, by all means. Yes, uh, time is short, so I'm going to give you one more name. It's one you talked about at the World Outlook Conference this year, Gold Minerals. I was looking, we were talking about about the $1.80 range at the Outlook. Now it's like 260 plus there, and it also has a bit of a dividend. Tell me about that one. I mean, this is where it gets challenging. So it's already had a nice move. Uh, how do I know yeah, whether it's a, it's a good point? And and it, yeah. it, the the move is great because gold stocks have been weak this year. Uh, you know, it, it was a mm-hmm. big trade. People talked about it at the start of the year after a good year last year. Not the case for Dynacor. They're a little bit different. They're a miller, not a miner. Uh, so it's all about cash flow for this company. Uh, highly, in, its miners in Peru are hard, highly incentivized to mine for them. Bring them ore. Uh, during this environment where gold is right now. Um, the more they bring, the more money Dynacor makes. Uh, we like it. Uh, it still trades at really reasonable valuations. Uh, it's upped its dividend 33% this year. They have issued guidance at the start of this year, which was about a, almost a 50% increase in revenues, doubling cash flow. They've already upped that guidance, uh, and we continue to see them upping that uh, over the course of this year. They've announced a 43% expansion from their profitable mill. That's online right now. 
We estimate if you just do 11 times earnings, which is a far discount to the market, uh, they're worth uh, fair value around 350 right now, pays that 3% dividend, about 35% undervalued to our fair value on the stock right now. Despite the 45% gain, when we can buy them at you know about eight times with cash out right now, we still think mm. it's uh, decent value. Now, all three of these companies that I talked about today, high growth, trade at reasonable prices, yet to be discovered by Bay Street, uh, exactly the way we like it. We think they'll eventually be identified, looking one to three years out. Well, as, as always, this is so fascinating to talk with Ryan here. The companies I and mean, his team has been searching literally a thousand companies to find some that meet his criteria. They've done that. Keystone.com, Keystone.com for Keystone Financial. As they say, there's a special money talks offer. Ryan, let me just finish very quickly in saying thank you. Love to do it. Look forward to talking to you on the podcast soon. It will be great to talk to you. And thank you very much. And happy anniversary to my parents. It's their 50th wedding anniversary. So Absolutely. I thought I'd get that in. Ozzy Jerk joins me on the... Oh, no. Ozzy is going to join me in the line in just a moment. But first, time for my shocking stat. And it's a brief one. But it's shocking nonetheless. As I mentioned earlier in the quote a week, the debacle in Afghanistan, well, it's a huge international issue. It dominates the U.S. media. So as I said, this is brief. But as Fox News reports, the Taliban has seized an estimated 80 billion U.S. In US dollars, 80 billion dollars worth of U.S. military equipment and arms after they've taken over Afghanistan. 80 billion. That's about five times the entire Canadian military operations. And as I quoted earlier, no one knows where that is. It's going to make its way onto the black market. It's going to fuel mayhem throughout the world. What a shocking stat. Let's bring in Aussie Jurek right now. Aussie, I wanted to talk a little bit about the impact of these forest fires. And, and sorry, obviously, the first thing we both say is the impact on individuals and the people who are fighting them, the people who are forced to evacuate. You know, uh, you know, so obviously that's the story. So but I want to just transition for a second after acknowledging that into the impact on real estate. It seems like, you know, wildfires are becoming a way of life in many communities. Do you think that's having any impact on housing as we go forward? So, for example, next year, if I'm trying to sell, sell my house in one of these areas that's been impacted do you think people are already thinking, well, no, that's in a fire, fire, uh, fire wildfire zone? Well, clearly, uh, first of all, I agree with you. We can't imagine the stress that people have been Ugh. under, you know, having been relocated, dislocated, and the, the smoke. I mean, we had friends of ours in Osoyos, and they had to leave. Just never mind the fire. It was the smoke they couldn't stand. So it's yep. amazing. But, you know, we have a lot of insurance issues to begin with. You know, Strata insurance has been terrible. A lot of it, I'm not blaming the insurance companies. I'm just saying some of the buildings can keep up the depreciation report or maybe didn't do the repairs. Or, and uh, certainly now the, 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 the money that uh, has been collected by the insurance company doesn't cover, you know, all the, all the claims that they're making. So the deductibles are sewing and what's so on. Well, I can just imagine that now if your house is located maybe the, near a fire zone, let's say 20 or 30 kilometers away, you maybe find it difficult to get fire insurance right now, you know. And so you as an owner or as a buyer, if you want to sell, you need fire insurance so that you get financing. So, uh, you know, you better sit down with your professional uh, insurance broker and see which insurance company would still lend on your particular house. 
That's such a good point because, excuse me, as, as you said, if I'm even applying for a mortgage, that's going to be asked. And so you better have this wrapped up. Yeah, no question. Now, that's case by case. Look, if my house is located by, by a lake, like, of course, it uh, be much more easy to get, uh, get mm-hmm. by insurance. But, you know, it, it may be insult or injury now where, where insurance companies back up. But I would suggest to you, Mike, it's, it's now. It's maybe the next few months. Once the, it's all been settled, the insurance companies will definitely come back. But in the meantime, you want to make sure that you put it as part of your contract saying, you know, you know, make sure that you get uh, that we can get the, get the fire insurance done because, like I said, the bank will not grant you financing if you don't have fire insurance. And we did get a taste of this, and you brought it to our attention going back uh, a few years, and we've continued to update it. Is uh, all you know? This is a key component to being a homeowner. When we saw that certain condos and condo owners were having trouble getting insurance for the building, or at least trouble getting insurance at a reasonable rate, and they exploded in cost. And, and, and it's something that, again, a lot of people hadn't been considering until it hits them between the eyes or someone who's considering buying maybe didn't have that as part of their variables. So insurance yeah. is playing probably a bigger role than I think most people consider when they look at buying a home. Yeah. And in fact, in some buildings, there was no insurance available at all. And like mm-hmm. I said, I don't necessarily blame the, the, the fire insurance company because a lot of owners put off the necessary repairs and so on. But clearly, take a look at the deductible. If I'm buying, I should know when my fire insurance policy for the building comes due because if it comes due next year, rest assured, your starter fees are going to go up. And the other thing, as I said at the outset, I, 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 it feels relentless, these fire seasons. You know, I mean, obviously it is. It's a yearly thing. But when it comes to, uh, first of all, our developments, our, our cities, our urban centers have expanded. So, of course, that's why one of the reasons that uh, a wildfire that used to be kind of way out in the wilderness is now impacting. I'm sitting here, by the way, Ozzy, uh, in Ladysmith. And yeah. for the first time in my memory, we have an active wildfire to the degree that my eyes, I'm not exaggerating here, my eyes are burning and I feel as if I'm sitting near a, a campfire almost, you know, that ember smell. And, yeah. uh, you know, so I can imagine it when you're in one of these intense zones that are up in the interior of British Columbia or before, of course, in Williams Lake, before in Fort McMurray, uh, you know, that list. And it's an annual thing. And that's why I was sort of concerned about, you know, is it going to permanently damage the value of the home, even if you weren't directly impacted but it's in the area. And people go, well, I'm just not going to buy into that area anymore. Well, and that, you know, you've seen it in, in, in campgrounds and in businesses, you know, uh, of course, uh, people have canceled, canceled coming here. But I think generally we, we muddle always through and we'll, we'll forget and we'll get back to normal. But for now and certainly in the next few months, it's difficult. We have no idea how far the smoke really goes. I remember three years ago, I was had my boat in Secret Cove. There was no fire anywhere near, but it was the sky was cloudy mm-hmm. with, with the smoke. And it, I mean, it, it impacts everything around you. And as I say, the first and foremost message is uh, our concern for people who have been directly, you know, uh, impacted, whether it's their property or, uh, and, of course, some tragic examples of that. Absolutely tragic yeah. examples. Okay. I've got a family member who's been evacuated in the, in the stress that goes around it. And then another couple of family members, uh, one in particular, uh, who's been put on alert, but uh, you know, he's a farmer and that's devastating. I mean, the list just goes on and on and that's our, our premier and first message that we're thinking about those people. In the meantime, Ozzy, you go back to Ozbuzz and uh, have the best of the weekend. 
Thank you so much. I want to echo what Mike Levy said, that I've had the privilege to be on money tax for over 20 years. I remember in the 90s, we took the Outlook Conference to Kelowna and Victoria. And uh, I was always impressed with your worldview, your dedication, your research. And I've never stopped being impressed. And it was a privilege to be on Money Talks. I hope to be continuing now. And I want to make sure that listeners know to go to mikemoneytalks.ca. So get it on your computer, get it on your phone. And finally, Mike, I'm going to leave you with this thought. Age does not matter unless you are a cheese. Let's get Victor Adair on here. Hey, Vic, I was just thinking, I'd said earlier in the show, one of the things that uh, has been important to me uh, is ability to talk about the challenges for people with intellectual disabilities and specifically the work Special Olympic does. And I just want to make a quick reminder that you're doing and you and your group are doing a golf tournament on September 11th up at Oceanside, which is uh, Parksville, Kualicum area on about Special Olympics. So I just wanted to give you a little plug with that. Just remind me where the website is that people go. Yeah, people can go to SOBC. That's like Special Olympics BC Oceanside.ca or just Google Special Olympics Oceanside. You'll, you'll find it eventually. You can go there. You can sign up to play golf, to sponsor the event in some way, or just to donate. And I, I do need to make this point that this is the one and only fundraiser that we have over here. We've got about 40 special needs kids in the Oceanside area, and the money we raise here in this golf tournament at Pheasant Glen in Qualicum goes entirely to the, the local kids. So anybody that wants to make a contribution in some way, uh, that's the way to go. SOBCOceanside.ca. And I just want to throw this out there. I don't know if it's a threat, but I personally am going to come up to that. I'm personally going to play first time, as you know, Vic, in years, in years because of a back issue. But I'm personally going to be there. Come up and say hello. Join us there. So that's SOBCOceanside.ca or just, uh, as he said, Google that in. And Vic, of course, is going to be there, (laughs) you know, so it's going to be fun. And Martin Mirenbuild, our old friend, uh, great analyst, uh, Get a, I'll get a chance to talk his ear off about uh, golf. Vic, I want to come to something else in the marketplace. And uh, one of the things that I'm proud that we've chronicled in this sh- show is China and our relationship as a country with China. Well, it, rear- it reared its head in the fangs of uh, what you get when you deal with the Chinese government recently with some of the changes they've made under uh, for their tech companies. And it's cost, uh, I've seen estimates as much as $500 billion in market cap for people in North America who own Chinese tech companies. Well, you know, Mike, back in the 1980s, uh, the, the, let's say the watchword uh, for China as the government over there created what they called capitalism with Chinese characteristics. The expression was, it's glorious to be rich. Well, that's not the case anymore. Under the new uh, regime, or let's put it this way, Xi Jinping has kind of been on the war path lately against the rich and famous in China with rules and regulations to enforce what they're calling common prosperity for all. Okay, so that might be, uh, let's call it income redistribution with Chinese characteristics. That's what I call it. I go into a lot more detail on my website, but the point is this. The Chinese stock market, particularly the tech sector, has been hammered here the past, uh, call it two months or so. And my question is, is there going to be any contagion from this? You know, you have the second largest economy in the world, stock market just getting really beaten down. 
Is that going to affect other markets? So here's my quick answer. So far, not in terms of American, North American, or European stock indices, but we are seeing real weakness lately, crude oil, commodities, and interest rates are falling, and the U.S. dollar is at a 9-month high. This kind of a trend that you see in commodities, interest rates, and the U.S. dollar is the sort of thing you see when the market's starting to get worried. So, you know, it's the sleepy summer season and all that. Maybe when we get back into post-Labor Day, we'll get some more rock and roll. But uh, i got to say, I'm a little worried that there may be some contagion from what's happening in China come into our financial markets. At the same time, I look and I look at the strength of the U.S. dollar uh, and your point about being the sort of the low-volume, low quiet summer, well, well, well said. But I think it might scare money out of China and say, you know what, we just can't deal with these guys. We're going to go to India instead if I want that kind of exposure. I'll go to other places, Southeast Asia, but maybe I, I seek safety in the U.S. Yeah, the, uh, definitely. I mean, the U.S. dollar is strong against virtually all currencies. Uh, and the Canadian dollar just got hammered this week. I think this is our worst week in quite a while. Uh, we were 83 cents six weeks ago. We're now touched 77 cents here this week. Uh, we were at a, at a six-year high in, in June. Now we're at, you know really taking a hit here with crude oil down and so on. But you know, Canadian the Canadian dollar got bid up over the last year and so. As people saw it as an easy way to play commodities, well, with the commodity market getting hit, you know, the Canadian dollar's on the receiving end as well. So there's, there's a lot of things in motion here, Mike, but I think part of what's going on in China is the, 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 the government there doesn't care about the stock market. They care that, you know, about policies, and they care that the, that the party is setting the rules and people are doing what they're told. Well, I invite people to go to victoradare.ca. Victoradare.ca gets a chance to flesh it out and continue to do that. And Vic, you'll continue to join me on mikesmoneytalks.ca. We're going to do some podcasts, all of that stuff. Nothing changes in that way, except for I'm going to have more time on Money Talks Uncensored with Michael Campbell. Vic, your support over the years, much appreciated. And I'll see you at the golf tournament. Mike, I'm looking forward to having you at the golf tournament. And just let our folks know, the first time I did a radio interview with you, was uh, I think it was actually Valentine's Day in 1984. And it's been a love affair ever since. Just kidding. <laughs> there you go, victordare.ca. I'll come back. I got my final Goofy. Time now for this week's Goofy Award. You know, I had to smile, or maybe I should have cried, when I read that Facebook is named CBC as fact-checker for the federal election. I mean, seriously. The network that round count ran countless stories on the completely fabricated Russiagate story. Joining, of course, media outlets though throughout North America, abandoning long-standing journalistic standards in a highly partisan effort to derail the Trump presidency. I remember vividly national anchor Peter Mansbridge staring into the camera, declaring that highly reliable sources had verified the most salacious details of what's called the Steele dossier, a document produced at the behest and financial backing of the Clinton campaign. The document contains such outrageous claims that any objective observer would have questioned its content and origin. I bring that aspect up because so few in the media have or seem to understand the degree to which that undermines trust in the entire industry, and that continues to erode. The CBC made things far worse, though, by launching a lawsuit against the Conservative Party in the midst of the 2019 campaign. 
a suit that every expert said was a loser, and they were right. They lost the, the court case. But not before torpedoing its already flimsy claim of nonpartisanship. As McLean's senior political commentator, Paul Wells, calls him, the government's most expensive PR firm. You know, after it's funny, after watching the CBC's Rosemary Barton exclusive interview with Canada's chief health officer, Theresa Tom, former BC NDP Premier Ujjal Josange tweeted, such softball interviews do make people wonder about the journalistic independence of the CBC. Well, with all due respect to the former Premier, I don't think anybody's wondering, especially with the CBC's two biggest unions registering with Elections Canada to officially oppose the Conservatives. I'm not talking about whether you want to support one party or not, but when people start perceiving it is not a level playing field, that erodes confidence in the entire system. And that is the biggest theme that you are going to be dealing with over the next 10 years. You've been seeing it play out so blatantly in Europe, although underreported. What do you think the massive protests are about? Lack of confidence in government. What do you think the Trump presidency was about or his election? But obviously, the CBC's reputation doesn't bother Facebook a bit. And that's actually the point. (laughs) Facebook joins much of the mainstream media in promoting the government's line because when it comes to the pandemic especially, so much of the coverage is predicated, I think, on a very unhealthy, no questions allowed approach. I mean, the no questions allowed when it comes to major issues of the day actually tops my list of concerns for Canada. And it extends far past the COVID coverage. I mean, when the healthcare system ranks 10th out of 11 countries in the latest Commonwealth Fund survey of 11 wealthy countries, that should beg a heck of a lot of questions, especially given the massive spending. And the fact that before the pandemic, 50 to 60,000 Canadians a year were forced to leave the country in order to get timely treatment. That should have begged a few questions. We've had two Supreme Court rulings saying that, the, that Canadians are suffering needlessly waiting for, uh, waiting for treatment. But no questions. It's not just healthcare, though. It's public education. It's huge amounts of money wasted on climate change. It's the billions in waste in executing government programs, as outlined in numerous Auditor General's reports. No questions on our actions taken to fight climate change, despite the fact that the government and no other political party has anything approaching a workable plan to obtain the raw materials necessary to transition to renewable energy. This is the last Money Talks episode on radio. My goofy is how did we permit, ignore, the no questions allowed attitude to take hold. Well, I'm not afraid to ask questions, which is why I'm going to continue to podcast Money Talks on money, mikesmoneytalks.ca, Michael Campbell's Money Talks on Facebook and Money Talks tweet. Just go to mikesmoneytalks.ca, click on and sign up for the free e-bulletin. We'll keep you informed. In the meantime, let me say thank you to Chorus Radio, and I wish them well in their new direction. And to the people I've worked with over the years, especially the technical producers like Phil, Phil Figueredo, a big thank you. And lastly, to you, the audience. Obviously, without your support, Money Talks would never have been the top-rated show in the country on finances. For that matter, it's a top-rated show in every time in the time slot and every station it's aired for so many years. A sincere, heartfelt thank you. 
Subscribe to the Money Talks with Michael Campbell podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you get your on-demand audio for the complete show, daily podcasts, and more.